0: Thank you, Rosemarie, thank you Youth Choir, and Erica and Phineas. Beloved, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, from the wilderness to the promised land, from life to death, you bid us to come and follow you. Grant us the courage to do just that. This we pray in the name of the one who goes before us, beside us and beyond us, Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. On May 31st of the year 2000, a spin off of a Swedish reality show premiered on televisions all over the US. Since then, it has broadcast 635 episodes, been nominated for 63 Emmy Awards, and has been named one of the greatest TV shows of all time by Time Magazine and TV Guide. This Wednesday night, it will premiere its 44th season on air, a feat only accomplished by classics like Saturday Night Live and This Old House and 60 Minutes. The series I am referring to, of course, is none other than Survivor. The show that spawned an entire genre of wilderness competitions, each one with their unique twists, but all based on the simple premise. Drop a bunch of people into complete wilderness without access to food and water and community and technology, and see who is the last one standing. See who survives. I find the success of Survivor and Survivor-like shows quite revealing. It reveals not only our obsession with competition and danger, but also the wilderness, allowing us to experience the anxiety of the unknown, the fear of what lies in the shadows, and the ache of solitude without ever having to leave our homes. That is, of course, the beauty of reality television, And The Trap, whether it's Survivor or The Bachelor, each of these shows always stops shy of, well, reality. Because in the actual wilderness, there's no camera crew hiding in the wings, no immunity challenges, and no six-figure prize waiting for you at the end of the journey, which begs the question, what is the wilderness? Now, I have to be honest, I searched far and wide for a good, eloquent, theological definition of the wilderness for this sermon. And pretty much everything out there is garbage. Just a bunch of pretty words wrapped around a horrible topic. Yes, the wilderness is a place that no one chooses to go. Yes, in Lent we are called to go into the wilderness. Yes, the wilderness forces us to face who we are. But what is the wilderness? And I realize that there's no good definition for this place because it looks different for each and every one of us. But there is one thing that remains constant. As preacher and theologian Barbara Brown Taylor notes, in a real wilderness, there has to be something that can kill you. One where the death of your identity, the death of your certainty, the death of your old community, your life as you've known it, those deaths are all entirely possible. They're all in mortal danger. And so if you've ever spent any time in a radiology-oncology unit, she notes, that's a wilderness. So is a neighborhood where parents have to teach kids what to do when they hear gunfire. A dying church? Wilderness. Addiction? Wilderness. Aging is a wilderness. Deep love for the suffering planet? A wilderness. After doing church with all of you just this past week, I could add the following to the list. Waiting on a diagnosis, a wilderness. Receiving the diagnosis, a wilderness. Having your heart broken yet again, a wilderness. Still struggling to find a sense of normal after the pandemic, a wilderness. Losing your newborn child, your parents, a lifelong friend. That's a wilderness. Taylor concludes, basically anything that shows you how breakable you are, how breakable everything is, that does the trick. Which means, face it, wilderness is not an optional part of the human condition, and no one gets a pass not even the Son of God or God's people. If we look within the pages of scripture, tales of the wilderness are there from the very beginning to the very end. To anyone who thinks that the Bible is just some boring book of laws and doctrines, I would invite you to read any number of the wilderness narratives and you will quickly see that ours is a God who is concerned with far more than just ruling and dictating. Ours is a God who is well acquainted with suffering and loss. As we see in the stories of Hagar and Ishmael, the Israelites and Elijah, Naomi and Jesus, ours is a God who meets us in the scariest of places and the most desperate of times to feed us, transform us, comfort us, wrestle with us, and yes, even save us. Just not always in the ways that we would hope for or expect. Case in point, the story of Jacob in the wilderness. Now, before I read our scripture for today, I want to set the scene. Our story's main character is Jacob, the grandson of Abraham and Sarah, the son of Isaac and Rebekah, and the younger twin brother to Esau. Emphasis on the word younger. Younger. As the older son, Esau was set to receive a double portion of his father's inheritance and the leadership of his family upon Isaac's death. A cultural custom that Jacob knew all too well. So well, in fact, that when he knew Esau would be starving after a, long, a day-long hunt, Jacob convinced him to sell him his birthright for a bowl of lentil stew. When their father Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, Jacob tricked Isaac into giving him the blessing that was meant for his brother. And then after learning what had happened, Esau vows to kill his traitorous brother, causing Jacob to flee to his uncles. For two decades, these brothers live apart. They marry and have children and build lives of their own until Jacob decides to return home. With all the time that had passed, Jacob was hoping for an amicable reunion until he hears that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 of his men. With no more tricks up his sleeve or places to go, Jacob sends his family safely ahead of him as he alone ventures into the wilderness. This is where we find Jacob in our scripture today. So beloved, hear now God's word for you as it comes from Genesis chapter 32. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had, Jacob was left alone. And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved. Friends, the word of the Lord. Jacob. Now, here's a guy with a lot of possible names. If we're using the Hebrew translation, we could call him Jacob the Follower, or the Supplanter, or the Deceiver. Based on his birth order, we could refer to him as Jacob the Younger, or the Second, or the Spare. But for our purposes today, I am going to call him Jacob the Runner. I mean, this guy is always running. Running a scheme, running a campaign, running out of town, running for his life, running into love, running out the clock, running up a debt, running out of time. Jacob the Runner. Now here's the thing about running. And I'm talking about real running, not like I'm going for a run or I'm running on a treadmill or I'm running a half marathon. The thing about running is that sometimes it is really hard to tell if someone is running towards something or away from something. I mean, the movements look the same. The intensity can feel the same. Even the destination can be the same. Don't believe me? Just look at Jacob, the runner. From one angle, he definitely looks like he is running towards something, right? Something better, something bigger, something greater than the life he was born into. Even from the womb, Jacob was always reaching out to get ahead. But compared to his brother, he was always one step behind and one minute too late. If he could just run harder and run faster, then maybe he could finally get to where he wanted to go. Jacob, the runner. But if we look at him from a different angle, one might argue that Jacob is definitely running from something. Running from the life that he was born into running from the future that was already laid out for him, running from his mother's inevitable disappointment, his father's righteous anger, and his brother's burning wrath. Even from the womb, Jacob was running from the one thing that was always going to catch up with him, no matter how hard or how fast he was able to run. And that reality was who he was. Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob, the spare. Jacob, the runner. But as I said earlier, whether you are running towards something or away from something, the destination, the outcome can still be the same. And in this case, the destination and the outcome was the wilderness. Literally speaking, Jacob's wilderness was just some unknown place across the ford of the Jabbok. The terrain itself wasn't particularly dangerous or scary. The real wilderness was in Jacob's mind. I think that's something that we can all relate to. Because figuratively speaking, Jacob's wilderness was terrifying. He had finally reached the point in his life where there was nowhere left for him to go. No more tricks for him to play. No more places for him to hide everything he had spent his life running from, everything that he feared, everything that he had done had finally caught up to him. And in that moment, all he could do was stare into the shadows and wait. Not knowing, not controlling, not planning what would happen next. That was his wilderness. This past Wednesday, I was talking with a member about a Survivor-type show called Alone. Way more dangerous, way more intense, way more real than Survivor. The unique spin of Alone is at any point in the experience, you can quit or tap out. Now I haven't seen this show yet, so I asked this person, David, what it revealed to him about humanity about what makes the wilderness so unbearable. He said, there are two things that usually make people tap out. The first is either missing their loved ones, and the second is bears. (laughs) I said, wow, are there live bear attacks on this show? He responded, no, it's just the possibility of bears, the sound of bears, the not knowing if there are bears out there that makes people just go crazy and give up. Makes so much sense. Deep wisdom from reality television. Perhaps one of the most terrifying aspects of the wilderness is that it is the ultimate place of not knowing of really having to trust, of having to let go and accept the fact that no matter how much we do, how hard we work, how faithful we are, how detailed our plans, how fast we run, our lives are not our own. They belong to God. We belong to God. And we see that truth play out in the most unexpected and yet beautiful way in our passage for today. While we don't exactly know how long Jacob waited alone that night, it doesn't really matter because in the wilderness, we know that minutes can feel like hours, hours can feel like days, and days can feel like an eternity. What we do know is that Jacob wasn't alone that night because lurking in the shadows was some random person who wasn't there with bread or water or a magical escape plan, but something even better, a blessing and a new name. The two things that Jacob had wanted and strived for for his entire life. But the only way he was going to get them was to deny himself entirely. How? by not running anymore, by facing his fears head-on, by suffering and struggling and wrestling and fighting and persisting and not knowing and risking his very life right there in the wilderness. Only then could he get his blessing. Only there could he get his new name. No longer Jacob, the runner, but Israel, the one who wrestles with God. Friends, that's the kind of thing that happens in the wilderness. And that is your invitation this Lent. Stop running and start wrestling. Whenever this liturgical season rolls around, the church will often do this thing where we invite you into the wilderness for 40 days, just like Jesus did, fast this, give up that. Let's all play wilderness together, which is kind of silly because first of all, we just said no one chooses to go into the wilderness. But more importantly, it's silly because we are already there. If the wilderness is indeed that which can kill us, well, guess what? Then any and all of us who are human, who love and lose, who experience life and are acquainted with death, guess what? We are already there. We are in the wilderness. Which means the real invitation, the real challenge, is to accept that reality and to stop running. Stop trying to secure your own blessings. Stop trying to change your name. Stop filling your schedules, your resumes, your hours with activities and accolades and busyness to the point that you can no longer tell if you are running towards something or away from something. Stop running and face the reality of who you are and wrestle with God. I promise you that none of it will be easy or fun but you might just get a blessing. And you might just get a new name. So as I said earlier, all wilderness places are different, but the constant is that there has to be something there that can kill you, right? Well, there's another constant and it's this. You don't have to face the wilderness alone. So stop trying. This Lent, if you need support, join a community group. If you need prayer, members of this community will be available every Sunday after worship in Lent to pray for you, right there. And if you need a safe place to stop running and face your fears, come to church, come to worship. Welcome to reality. Welcome to wilderness. Friends, welcome to Lent.